Hello and welcome to DevOps Sauna podcast. The DevOps conference has been organized annually as a virtual global event. Now we organize this event also as a hybrid one. In the 1st of November, the DevOps conference comes to you in Copenhagen. You can learn more and register at thedevopsconference.com slash Copenhagen. To build the excitement to this awesome face-to-face event, we are sharing a set of most popular talks from the DevOps conference in March 22. You can find and watch full video recordings online without registration at the conference website. Let's tune in. Now, our next speaker. Next up is our third talk of the day. We have Helen Bill. Helen is the Chief Ambassador of the DevOps Institute and Chair of the Value Stream Management Consortium. Helen will talk about combining the power of DevOps with value stream management. Over to you, Helen. Hi, thanks very much for the intro. Um, Yes, I'm gonna be talking about combining the power of DevOps with value stream management. And I am Helen Beale, and as we just said, I have a number of roles actually, but the two that we're most concerned with today are the Chief Ambassador role at DevOps Institute and being Chair of the Value Stream Management Consortium. And I'll probably tell you a little bit about about both organisations as we go through this session today. Arachnophobes, um, it's time to look away for a moment. Um, The other day, someone described me thus, uh, which made me laugh. They described me as the spider in the middle of the VSM DevOps web. And I think that relationship between the DevOps Institute and Value Stream Management Consortium kind of explains that. I challenge anyone to say that spiders aren't cute. I mean, look at that one. He's just adorable. So what we're going to talk about today, well, we're going to talk about what Value Stream Management is now because some of you may have had experience with value stream management or mapping in the past we're going to explain the differences between those two and talk about what's different about where we are right now we'll try and establish what value stream is as well and then talk about digital value streams and what makes them different from other sorts of value streams and then we'll talk about how to implement value stream management and these connect inspect adapt parts of the implementation map in particular And then we'll look at the relationship between the value stream and the DevOps tool chain and then how value stream management platforms use and build over what we do in the DevOps tool chain and how they enable value stream management to do very new things for us. And then we'll just finish by summing up with some key takeaways. So. First of all, many of you would probably have heard of the term value streams before, and we have done an awful lot of things, and we live in this industry where we have all of these different acronyms, all of these different ways of working. I quite often describe myself as a wowologist because I like playing with words, and what I mean when I say that is that I'm a studier of ways of working. But what you're seeing here is two main streams of ways of working that we're talking about in the context of value stream management. One is about being project oriented and the other is about being flow oriented or product oriented. So many of you have probably come across Mick Kirsten from Tasktop's book from project to product. And this is very much underpinning a lot of the practices around value stream management. So we've kind of moved from big batch waterfall to smaller batch agile, and we're starting to learn about, or many, I think we've probably learned quite a lot now actually about how to apply agile at scale. And lots of those agile at scale frameworks are concerned with value stream management as well. And part of that's to do with what they're drawing from lean, which you're seeing on the flow orientation 
section at the bottom. And of course, we've had things like application lifecycle management as well, which was kind of a big thing a few years ago and perhaps didn't fully explode in the way that it could have done. But it's very foundational to what we're doing in terms of understanding the DevOps tool chain and understanding what we're doing with requirements as they move through into CI and CD. So you see value stream management pop up twice there. You see it pop up quite a while ago with Lean and Kanban. Now you're seeing it come back round again. I'm going to talk about why it's coming back round again and why, in fact, we founded the Value Stream Management Consortium just over a year ago. We celebrated our first birthday on Saturday, the 5th of March, just gone. So... Going back quite some way, actually the year I graduated, which was 1995, this book was published, The Great Transition by James Martin. And in it, he talks quite extensively about value streams and in fact, value stream management as well. And he talks about a value stream being an end-to-end -end set of activities which collectively creates value for a customer. And he goes down a little bit deeper into it as well and talks about the value stream team. So this is Something that was quite new conceptually then, but we're quite familiar with now as our culture in DevOps in particular has moved away from silos. So we no longer want teams of SMEs. What we're trying to do is flatten hierarchies, move away from command and control and distribute authority. So we have multifunctional autonomous teams, which are essentially a value stream team. If you look at Matthew Skelton and Manuel Pace's book, Team Topologies, it's a value, it's a stream aligned team. A stream aligned team is a value stream team. So we have that team which understands everything that's involved from ideation to value realization. So that's the terms that I tend to use. Um, but the start is the ideation. So when we first have an idea about what we want to do and the confirmation of satisfaction, which is what I call value realization. Value is one of my favorite topics. So value, we often say, is in the eye of the beholder. It's pretty difficult to pin down what value means for a lot of people. It's a, a very passionate conversation we're having with our members at the consortium day to day um, at the moment. I'll probably talk about it a little bit more later if we have time, but I have done entire talks uh, just on this topic. Um, but here, James talks about achieving outrageous improvements. He talks about critical measures such as speed, cost, quality and service. Um, I think there's more to value than that. I think the service one there is the one that is most fluid in terms of what we can include in there. And then he talks about delighting the customer, which is quite a modern term, I think, that we use a lot now. It's one that we often consider to be very marketing oriented, but this is coming from an engineer in this case. So delighting the customer is key. And that intense focus on the customer is critical. And we've you know, really taken that from lean and all the work done in the 1950s from TPS. And that could mean an internal or an external customer. It just means the, the consumer of your product platform or service. But digital value streams are different. So the great transition was written about technology, but value stream management and lean and value stream mapping came originally out of manufacturing. And we saw books um, like Learning to See, helping us understand how to use value stream mapping. And then we saw the book Value Stream Mapping coming out of Karen Martin and my Osterling, which taught us a lot more about how to utilize the value stream mapping practices in non-manufacturing environments. And then we saw um, other books uh, like uh, the uh, Field Guide to IT, 
um, which taught us how to apply this to IT. And there is something very, very different about thinking like value streams in our digital world. Um, what you're seeing here is at the top. Commonly, we can broadly say there's two types of activities that we're doing when we're making something. We're either designing and developing it, our D&D, or we're producing and delivering it, our P&D. Now, manufacturing, most of the focus is on the production and delivery. What we do is we design something once and then we make it hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of times, like a bottle of ketchup, for example. What we're doing in the digital world is quite different because what we're doing is living with long-lived products, when, especially when we've learned to move from project to product. We have a long-lived product, and what we're doing is one thing once. So we're pushing enhancements and changes through. So most of our work is in the design and development. This is true of products as well. It's just not so obvious. What we do is we have this big batch of requirements and it feels um, perhaps like there's a lot more of production and delivery because of the way that the product, the project skews. But in product world, it becomes very obvious that the most of our work is thinking about that enhancement at designing and building it. And with DevOps, what we've done as well is we've shortened our P&D percentage even more because we've automated using continuous integration and continuous delivery. So um, we really have squished that part of the delivery. And this is a big thing about value stream management that we'll keep coming back to. What we're trying to do is connect planning to delivery. So in DevOps, we've always been really good at thinking about from code commit onwards, but not so good at thinking about what we've often referred to, thanks to Don Reinertson, as the fuzzy front end. So what's happening between someone in the business or a customer coming with a requirement and us going through all the cabs and the requirements gathering and the, the building of requirements docs or perhaps user stories, depending on how far you've transitioned from project to product and, and actually getting the work done. And delivered. So examples of digital value streams, I'm starting to think about if you're not using value stream terminology in your organization already, the kind of things you'll likely have, mobile apps and websites. Um, not everything that's a value stream you might own yourself. So there may be SaaS solutions or COTS platforms, uh, commercial off-the-shelf platforms that you're using. Even APIs, I've worked with lots of organizations where there are dedicated teams to APIs and, and quite understandably because they are threading throughout the organization. Now, they're often quite platformy, so you're providing them um, as a service or managing them as a service for other parts of the business. But there's lots of places where you will find your digital value streams. What becomes interesting about this, which is a, another ongoing debate that I very much enjoy at the Value Stream Management Consortium, is how all this connects to what James was writing about in The Great Transition, which is the digital transformation. So this is um, some work from Carlotta Perez, but what you're seeing here at the top is a quote from James as well in 1995 saying, we are in the early phase, phase of a revolution that will fundamentally transform enterprises around the planet. The transformation is a paradigm shift of immense max magnitude. Some corporations will take the new opportunities and thrive and others will be swept away. And of course, since he made the statement, we've seen that. We, you can look at the Dow Jones and how the Dow Jones has changed. You know, the top um, companies in the world, we all know uh, the top performing companies in the world is now dominated by the likes of Alphabet, 
and Apple and Amazon. We really are deep into what Carlotta Perez refers to as the age of information in the telecoms. You can call it the software age, the digital age. It kind of doesn't matter. Um, but Carlotta's research tells us some things that are quite interesting in terms of she has identified economic cycles around these technology revolutions. And according to her research, we are sort of smack bang in the middle of one at the moment. The cycles are characterized by having recessions in them. And the previous four cycles um, had a single recession. We've actually had three in the current one. So we started um, when the dot-com bubble burst that many of you will likely remember. And then, of course, more recently, the Great Recession was by the economic collapse over the way um, that we were managing mortgages and loans and things like that. Um, and then we have had a, a dip uh, as a result of the pandemic as well. So all of this tells us about where we are in the cycle. And the good news is the next part of the cycle is what she refers to as the golden age. So this is the point where everything comes together and we see global prosperity and we see a really nice bounce in the global economy. This time around, she's hoping that we'll learn to combine that a lot with sustainability, so green issues as well, and also social responsibility. And I think there's lots of evidence that that is true also. So why is that important? Well, if it's true that we're in the middle of a digitally driven industrial age or technology revolution, what we need to do is figure out how to leverage that. And there's two things I really want to talk about. One is the importance of all organisations considering themselves a technology company or a technology-led company, perhaps. And there are good examples that have been around for quite a while of non-typical organisations saying this. So, for example, Domino's Pizza are very famous for saying they're a technology company. Alaska Air talk about being a technology company with wings. And why is this important? Well, it's important because we fundamentally need to change the way in which we manage technology in organisations. So because of history, technology departments in organisations have been treated like order takers because that's what we were. We dealt with back office applications in many organisations that I've worked with. The organisations are 100, 200, 250 years old. The technology teams have only been around for a very short time in their history and they started very small and they started with a bit of MRP, a bit of ERP, a bit of mainframe email. Um, and it's only quite recently since the early 90s that the digital transformation has happened and the internet has become important. But as James put it, in order for these companies to thrive and survive through this disruptive time and compete with the born on the web uh, people like Airbnb and Uber and all the famous people that we know about, we need to be able to really invest in our technology and change what we do to deliver those delight, the customer delighting services and experiences very quickly. So that's part of it. The other part of it is that we have been building stuff. So DevOps has been around since 2009. So, you know, we're what, 12 years in, 13 years, come up to 13 years in, um, and we've achieved a lot. Version control has changed significantly during the time and is pretty much standard in all organizations and is a foundation of the DevOps tool chain, as we'll see shortly. And what we've built from that as we've adopted these practices is companies have adopted automated build, automated tests. They've started practicing CI, which has enabled them to practice CD. And we now have 
these quite extensive tool chains in a lot of organisations and some people have made them more than CICD and they've connected and they've connected the service desk and connected more monitoring and observability and have closed the loop. Um, but many organisations are catching up. They're, the future is not evenly distributed, as uh, my colleague Steve Pereira likes to put it of, often. So there are different capabilities within different teams and different organisations that are at different adoption levels. But what we are seeing is a lot of difference in tool chains within organisations and, and across organisations. So the definition on the left from Forrester kind of pulls out Again, what is different about value stream management this time around? So it's a combination of people, process, and technology. Yeah, okay, that's we've all seen that. It maps, optimizes, visualizes, measures, and governs business value flow. Okay, that sounds like it's probably always done that. Um, through heterogeneous software delivery pipelines, and this is where your digital transformation alarm bell goes off because this is what's different and this is what's complicated. We've got this opportunity to measure what's happening, the flow from idea through development and into production, but are we doing it? Not in every case by any means, and I'll show you some data at the end from the consortium that will show you how far we're at. So why would you want to? Well, value stream management's first goal is to optimize the flow of value and the realization of your value intentions in the hands of the customer. And the reason we do that is because remember, we have obsessive flow, obsessive focus on our customer. So when we get um, our customers happy and get them a sublime customer experience. They buy more, they increase their basket size, they tell all their friends and family that you get a high NPS score or even better, you get referrals and great reviews. So you drive more business your way and, and you thrive. So I've mentioned value stream mapping a few times. So I just want to quickly position the two against each other and again, give you this difference about what's different now. A value stream mapping has been around a really long time, as we kind of established, since um, information and materials mapping from TPS in the 1950s. It's newer in our digital world. Um, I've been practicing it uh, as a DevOps consultant for over 10 years and using it as a key way to get people to visualize a business case or an investment case about why they want to spend more time and effort working with DevOps practices, um, used it as a way of kicking off efforts to getting a team together and a group of people understanding um, and agreeing what they want to do, and also as a huge learning exercise. So it's a, a really good way to um, position why we want to do things like DevSecOps, why cloud is important for things like automated environment provisioning and showing how to remove those bottlenecks and waste areas from a value stream. Value stream management builds on this though. So where value stream mapping is very human-centric, value stream management is very tool-centric. So my own journey into value stream management was very much as a DevOps consultant so I went to the DevOps Enterprise Summit in London in 2019. I went with uh, my InfoQ hat on that day. So I went on a press pass as a journalist and uh, intended to interview a number of heads of the companies that were talking about value stream management at the event because it was quite new. It was a new term that was just bubbling up. And I had been going to my clients with a slide and, and my kind of standard template said optimizing the flow from idea to realization. And 
this kind of it seemed to me that there was some um synergy to use uh, a, a kind of difficult word um there between what I was feeling and what I was trying to do and what these companies were proposing and there was also a level of frustration with me at the time as a consultant in that I was practicing value stream mapping with many of my clients and they were they were loving it and the feedback was amazing and they had such a great time um, in the room or in the space with each other learning about each other and were kind of blown away by the data and the understanding that they achieved by visualizing what their work was looking like and getting making that visible um but i was struggling with a couple of things and one was that what we try and do when we take people on a digital transformation or a devops journey is we try and explain that it's evolutionary and it's continuous and that's one of the words i actually that one of the reasons actually i don't like the word transformation very much i have to live with it in digital transformation because it's just is and i don't think we'll change that um but it gives you a very a very strong sense of a big bang we're going to do this project and we're going to change everything and it'll all be done by this date. Whereas what's actually happening when you're doing this kind of change with DevOps is it's more incremental. You want to make smaller changes so that they don't have such negative impacts on your productivity. And you must continually try. It's the continual improvement. But with value stream mapping, what I was finding is that my clients were spending and investing significant amount of time getting in a room together often very senior people, very expensive people, and doing the work, loving the work, but never finding the time again to properly revisit it, make sure that they'd done everything they said that they would do, and looking at how the data, like their cycle time, had improved as a result of their interventions. Hi, we are Ethicode, and we organize the DevOps conference. We believe that at the heart of DevOps is the culture of continuous learning and experimentation. And we would love to speak to you about how we could help you do DevOps better. You can find us at ethico.com. The links are in the description. And have a great time with the DevOps conference talks. problem I was having is how I was spending a lot of time doing DevOps metrics workshops with people and we were finding it hard to establish what set of metrics would be most useful and also where to get them from. So value stream management really solves both of these problems by being tool centric. So we must still be people centric and human centric and all of that value that we get from talking to each other and visually collaborating is important but as I'll show you by using value stream management what we do is we augment that capability with tools and make it possible to achieve that continual evolving of our journey and our progress along with making metrics so much easier to identify um, and use. So other things that are different, um, value stream management is very data-driven versus being opinion-driven. And of course, we love being data-driven in DevOps because there's kind of no argument. It's kind of we, we just can look at the data together and we can just get on with an experiment using that data. Um, there are There is technology now as part of value stream management. Value stream management today is different because we are applying to technology, but also because we are using technology to enable it. 
it's ongoing, it's incremental, it's continuous, it does things like helps us automate for continuous compliance as well. So it's concerned with this governance and auditability. And it records um, our past and present. So it gives us the data to look for the trends, the insights and the actionable insights. So in July last year, the Value Stream Management Consortium published its first, first our first uh, State of Value Stream Management report. You can download it from vsmconsortium.org forward slash research, and in it we include this implementation roadmap. And once more, this is showing us what is different about Value Stream Management today than what has been different before. And what you can see is that we consider, as part of this implementation roadmap, that Value Stream Mapping is a subset of the practices within value stream management. So just like in the improvement carter, the first thing the team does is set their long-term vision goals. But, but when you get started, you can start from anywhere. So it doesn't matter if you've done DevOps or not done DevOps or whether you've um, adopted SAFE or whether you're still project-oriented. It, it doesn't matter. You can start using these tools and practices wherever you are. And the first thing you need to do is identify your value streams. So I've given you a few clues on how to do that already today. Um, but the next thing you need to do is identify the people that are accountable for every step in that value stream. So we're talking about product owners. We're talking about business analysts. We're talking about the customer. We're talking about the IT ops people. We're talking about the cloud architects. We're talking about everybody that is involved in that digital value stream. And you may not have them in the same team at the moment, but this gives you an opportunity to see what that might look like. Once you know who's involved, you can get them in the same space and they can start working together to visually collaborate and start seeing all of those things that they can learn from each other and connecting all of the dots. Talking of connecting, the next thing we can do is connect the DevOps tool chain. I'm going to show you into detail, in detail in a moment what that means. Some people, when we, um, when we publish this roadmap, very quickly identified what I felt when I was building it in that actually you could switch, connect and map around. I left it map connect because we're so comfortable with the people, then process, then tools uh, mantra that we've lived by in our industry for so long. Um, but you could switch them around. You could start connecting. What you're effectively doing when you apply a value stream management tool to your DevOps tool chain is automating your value stream map. You're making it visible. Not all platforms make it visible in the traditional sense of value stream maps. Some of them are very much focused on uh, identifying those actionable insights and letting you get straight on with the experiments. Um, so this is what we're doing when we're inspecting and adapting. And of course, there are two of the three pillars of scrums, the other one being transparency, which is what we're getting when we're getting the, the visibility. So the next thing we do is the regular inspection. So in the traditional way that we were doing value stream mapping, you would do the inspection by getting everyone together in a room and a space and spending all that time looking at the map together. But once you've applied a value stream management platform, you have effectively made all of that data available at any time, real time, so you can very quickly inspect and then very quickly use those um, the results of your inspection to write an experiment as a user story, put it in your backlog and put it in your next sprint or put it on your Kanban board, whichever um, way of working you are using. So this is what a value cycle looks like. 
This is what a software development life cycle looks like. We're starting with planning, with portfolio backlog. This is where we set our vision and goals and where we start documenting epic features, product backlog items and user stories. And then we move on to building it. So we create the code, whether we compose that or whether we actually program it is, is up to you. Um, you might be using low code, no code at this point. Who knows? But the artifact, um, the software supply chain, health is very important as we consider things like artifacts. And it's very uh, absolutely essential that we do good version control um, and also very important that we use trunk-based development. Then we test, of course, we validate and not just functional and non-functional. And those two pieces are very close together, obviously, so we, you know, we've got gates and things here. And then this enables us to use continuous delivery and continuous deployment to approve, release and operate what we've done in the live environment. And this point, we're now getting feedback. So we can be using monitoring and observability. We could actually also be using portfolio management tools to get feedback on the outcome of what we have just done and delivered. So what does this look like in terms of a DevOps tool chain? Well, we have a portfolio management tool, could be something like Jira Align. We have a product backlog, perhaps um, Jira. We have uh, things like Confluence for collaboration and really collecting more information on what we're doing. We might have, we should have an artifact repository, perhaps artifactory. Um, we have some sort of version of Git, most likely. I know there is a bit of subversion out there, but I think mostly we've got Git something um, involved here for source and version control, and then something managing those automated builds and triggering our tests. Um, in this case, GitLab. Um, and then we have a test. So I always start with the three classic tests in CI. So a unit test could be NUnit, Jasmine for integration testing, and then Selenium for user acceptance testing. Um, and then we have some security or performance testing, so uh, non-functional testing. So here, uh, some sonotype. And then we are looking at um, our, uh, our environment orchestration, basically. So and getting that code and config out on the servers. Then ITSM and our service and support desk with Zendesk here. Um, and then we're looking at monitoring. So we've got some logging, we've got some AI ops with Moogsoft, we've got Splunk and Moogsoft there, and then Grafana for dashboards. And all of that is feeding back into our planning section, um, completing that life cycle. So there's an example tool chain. Um, the likelihood of it being exactly yours is very, very low because, as I said, these things are heterogeneous. So they vary from team to team in organisations and certainly from organisation to organisation. So there will be bits that I missed, um, bits that you don't have potentially, and lots of variation. But what we really want to do is now connect all of that end to end. Because if we do that, we understand the flow of work. We know how fast it takes us to get something from having an idea to delivering it to our customer. And more importantly, getting the feedback and learning from that customer about whether we achieved what we set out to achieve. So we connect the planning to delivery. We get that visibility. Um, this is a really key one for the enterprise into the cross-value stream changes. So in most enterprises, there are a lot of dependencies. I think they are fundamentally the largest problem with adopting DevOps practices and value stream management in any organization in that we have systemic um, dependencies and organizational dependencies. And this means that when we change something over here, it breaks something over there and it's very high risk and we put all those controls in and we end up with loads of bureaucracy and things feel painful and slow. But the more we can understand about where those dependencies are, the more we can manage them while we break them. The ultimate goal is always to go as far to have autonomy as we can, but sometimes it takes a while. 
We can trace those user stories so we can see where something might have go, gone wrong. We've got less continuous compliance and we get those insights into the waste that allows us to optimize that flow, get our stuff to our customer as fast as we can and know what it did when it got there. So DevOps, I've talked on lots of presentations where I've said that value stream management is the next generation of DevOps. I think DevOps is also the toolkit for value stream management. So what I've just done here is layer on some examples of interventions um, and where you would apply them if you saw waste in your value stream. So for example, if you were seeing um, delays um, around uh, Provisioning, cloud provisioning is very helpful. Now, it feels like environment provisioning is not the sexiest thing in the world, but a lot of places and people haven't quite quite got it yet. And there are things that you can do prior to cloud that will help in terms of managing bookings and, and helping consistency um, across your route to live to ensure that you've got production-like pre-production environments. Um, I did say I wanted to show you some data um, from the State of Value Stream Management report, and here it is. This is what we call the wow moment. So these are the, these are the findings that made the research team go, wow, that's quite interesting. Um, we did in the first report, and we'll be exploring this, obviously, um, more in the next one. The survey for that will be going live later this week or early next week, so keep an eye out for that. Um, we did establish that there is a correlation between higher performing organizations and the use of value stream management practices, including mapping, but also the way that we measure value flow uh, and outcomes. Teams that are platform or value stream oriented, um, so product oriented, are nearly twice as likely to use flow metrics as project oriented. So we're seeing that correlation between people that are moving towards the long lived product um, along with not seeing it happen so much in the project or organization. And we're very interested in whether organizations have roles um, that relate to value streams or if they have respondents that work in teams as well and how they measure value realization. We've also started doing some micro research. We're just about to report on our first piece, which is on definitions of lead and cycle time. Um, what we discovered is that a lot of organizations are using those terms, um, but they're using them um, quite very, very variable ways. So we're just working on some guidance on what those definitions can look like and how to evolve them in an organization um, to make sure that everyone knows what's being said. So in summary, we think um, about value stream management in, in one of two ways, next generation DevOps or DevOps is the intervention toolkit. It doesn't really matter. They don't compete with each other. They are principles and practices that you can use in tandem. Just keep an eye on what the outcomes are that you are looking for. And those outcomes are probably things like getting your cycle time. Um, so the time it takes from an idea to value being realized by your customer um, as short as possible. To do this, you need to think and work like value streams and you need to be able to monitor throughout the DevOps tool chain. Realization, you need to figure out what value means to you and you need to use value hypotheses and write experiments and check experiments. And we don't have time to go into detail about this today, but things like those AI ops tools can really help with that. They can give you details about real-time customer experience. So many of you, when I say value, may think profit and revenue. Those are lagging indicators of value and they don't tell you directly about customer experience. But if you know things about session length, conversion, basket size, customer journey time, you can find a lot of things out from your APM and AI ops tools um, that can give you immediate insights and feedback into the work that you've just delivered. And finally, my purpose is to bring joy to work and 
just by going on a journey, being able to measure progress, that is the greatest way of finding joy at work. DevOps means a sustainable way of working. So it's not just good for the customer, it's good for the people doing the work as well. And keeping in mind those human aspects is key to being successful. I'm one minute over, but thank you for bearing with me. Thank you, Helen, for the presentation. Um, I need to say I was a bit alarmed by the picture where there were so many uh, tools around the cycle, but I think you comforted me at the end. Um, earlier in the day, we, we made, there was a reference made by Marco to the extreme programming. And also now in the chat, there were similar references made in that there, there are some similarities um, in what is being discussed and extreme programming. Um, maybe there's no question there in, in this form, but maybe you could expand the relationship between those two, given that the time when extreme programming came around is about the time when the book was written, which you showed around in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, the time of XP, I was working with DSDM, and for me, they're foundational to what came out of um, Snowbird and came out in terms of the Agile Manifesto and how we went on that journey. But for me, they're quite developer-focused, so they're not really understanding that end-to-end -end process. So really, there's still this really big distance in the fuzzy front end, really big distance a lot between the business and the coding. And whilst some people are probably thinking, well, that wasn't in my case. I'd probably ask them if they worked in quite small companies at the time and that that distance was shortened as a result because it's my experience, certainly with the large enterprises, that there is this distance or differentiation between the business and technology teams. So XP, Lean, you know, you saw them on the diagram. Those, they, These are parts of our pathway. Um, certainly when we were doing XP, um, 20 plus years ago, uh, what we didn't have was end-to-end -end tool chains in the way that we have now. And certainly we didn't have value stream management platforms that could connect the DevOps tool chains in the way that they do today. Cool. Um, I had, what I found alarming actually was um, the spider picture and even more alarming <laughs> was your, isn't that cute? So, okay, but moving. <laughs> But moving on, um, I do have one question, which is, um, which metrics should people start with? I would always recommend starting with cycle time. So that's trying to get that end-to-end -end metric. So this is the key one when you do value stream mapping. So the way that you get to it is that you look at all of the steps in your value stream, so steps of processes. And then what you try and do as a team is establish what the average time is you spend doing that work elapsed. Uh, we call it touch time or processing time mm. often. And then, then we look at how much time you spend between steps. So we call that wait time or idle time. So you do that across all of the steps in your value stream, and then you simply sum them. So you sum mm. the touch time and sum the wait time add them together and you've got your cycle time. And that is how long it is taking you to get from one end to the other. In Depending on where you are with your DevOps tool chain, you'll find it difficult maybe to get end-to-end -end initially. Mm -hmm. But just using product backlog tools like Jira, you can get an element of this. And we're going into great detail in that micro-research that I talked about earlier because one of the reasons that we have so many variations in the definitions of both lead and cycle time is that there are quite a few different places in the value stream to stop and start measuring. And where we're probably going with this is that 
whilst it would be good to have one definition. So I could say, for example, the definition of cycle time is the clock starts when an idea is recorded, probably in portfolio uh, management, Mm. and the clock stops at the moment that we identify that the experiment we were looking at to say, has the customer reacted in the way that we thought they would if they had the experience that they anticipated has stopped. So basically, it's from idea to value realisation. But actually, we've got other uh, definitions, like the very famous definition uh, for lead time um, in Accelerate from Dora, from uh, code commit to code deployed. And, you know, they explain very clearly in Accelerate why they did it that way, because that's what was what is possible with the technology at, at that point in time. Um, but what's getting really interesting now, looking at all of those steps in the tool chain and looking at what's possible in the platforms, is teams could actually choose multiple start and stop points and change them on a day-to-day basis Mm. and say, you know, this week, actually, we really want to focus on that point from when it goes into, you know, the release management tool to the moment that it's getting into um, the Canary release. So you can move all these points around. Cool. Do we have time for one more question? Yeah, I think so. I think one more. Do you want to go? Uh, No, you go. Okay. Um, so, Helen, can you, can you advise any techniques um, to use for prioritizing improvements, i.e. how to decide which improvement to implement first and which improvement to implement next? Yes, I'm going to do a little bit of a plug here. Apologies. But one of the things that the Value Stream Management Consortium that we launched in September last year was our Value Stream Management Foundation course, which is available online to all members. Um, And in it, we do include a a hypothesis prioritization backlog. So you're basically looking at risk, difficulty and impact. And you're trying to balance um, those things and you can use matrices to do that. So um, there are some very good uh, lean tools out there to help with that. Super. And I think that's about time. Yes. So thank you very much, Helen, for joining. It was awesome to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find the link to other conference talks in the show notes. I would like to invite you personally to the DevOps conference in Copenhagen on November 1st. You can find the link to the registration page from the show notes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on your platform. It means the world to us. Also, check out our other episodes for interesting and exciting talks. I say now, take care of yourself and see you around. <laughs>